Father, we just thank you for the gift of life. And above all, the gift of your life. For everyone who doesn't know you, who rejects you, will die twice. But everyone who has accepted Christ, the Lordship of Jesus Christ, will only die once. But even if he dies or she dies, they'll live forevermore. We value your life. The life that you poured out for us. Your soul, your blood, your life that was poured out for us on the cross. So so that man need not die anymore. The price was paid for sin on the cross. Help us not to look at it lightly, Lord. Help us not. The whole nation is practically on a standstill. All nations of the earth have barred Indians from coming into their nations. It's almost like we stand alone. But those who knew you never stand alone. Even if all the nations abandon us, and even if our governments abandons its people and throw their hands helpless in the air, there's a God who has promised his people, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. I will be with you forever. I am the resurrection and the life. And by my stripes, you were healed. We just want to thank you, Father, for the healing and for the eternal life we have. And I speak it over everyone who is hearing. Let no one's heart be discouraged. We continue to look up, for we know, Lord, as each day passes, our redemption close, draws closer and closer and closer, Lord. And this hour, we commit ourselves into thy hands. Minister to us through your word, Spirit of God. For that's our strength. Speak, Father, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. We are back with Gideon. We cannot skirt Gideon. As I said, let's finish Gideon, because Gideon is one of the most important characters in the Bible, not because he is on par with the greats, but because of the life lessons we receive from Gideon's episodes, chapter 6 and 7, primarily about what God did through Gideon, and it teaches us. So we have been going through step by step through Gideon's life from where God calls him, just like any one of us, fearful, desperate, teeny-weeny little faith. And we see the steps God takes him through. One of the things we learned is that once false altars are destroyed and idols are removed from our heart and a true altar is built, things happen. We go to today to chapter 6. We read first verses 33 to 35. Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east gathered together and crossed over and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. Okay? False altars has been removed. True altar has been. Worship has taken place. God has stood up for him. And then you see the enemy comes in like a flood. 
And when the enemy comes in like a flood, see, when the enemy will not just come after everybody, it comes after people who are truly working on that sanctification, who are breaking down the altars of this world, destroying the idols in our heart, and raising up a true and a living sacrifice. They have an altar where they offer themselves as a true living sacrifice. The enemy comes after them like a flood. But God's answer is always the same. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon and he blew the trumpet. Okay, Don't blow the trumpet before the Spirit comes. Okay, Allah wait for the Spirit to come and then blow the trumpet. Okay, The Spirit of the Lord comes upon Gideon. There are two uses in the Bible, in the New Covenant, when the Spirit of the Lord comes in us and the Spirit of the Lord comes upon us. Okay, The Spirit of the Lord came upon people in the Old Testament and they were endured with power. And they did mighty things, but most of them towards the end, you know, they stumbled, they fell, didn't they lose their salvation, but they didn't finish well. The New Covenant process is different. The Spirit of the Lord doesn't come upon us. When we are born again, the Spirit of God comes in us. Okay. So God's first work is to radically change us from inside to out. Then he endures us with power. It can happen simultaneously, but he endures with power continuously so that we can do his work. Okay, So that's happening. That's the difference between the Old and the New Testament. The New Testament is the Spirit in us and the Spirit of God upon us. And we will realize that one thing changes history. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. Ten days before the day of Pentecost, or rather 40 days, or 50 days before the day of Pentecost, he breathed the Holy Spirit upon them. They were born again. The Spirit of God came in them. But on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God came upon them. So this is where we see. He blows the trumpet, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Then he blew, and the Abzerites gathered behind him. Then he sent messengers all through Manasseh who gathered around behind him. He also sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali. These are different tribes. And they came up to meet him. Now we'll read from 36 to 40, one of the most controversial or confusing. It is not confusing, but people run with it and cause so much confusion. So Gideon said to the Lord, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, look, I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. It was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to the Lord, Do not be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, but all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. Okay. This is, even if people do not know the story, they all know how to put a fleece before God. But many people who try to put a fleece before the God is actually trying to fleece God. Okay. And they wonder why it does not work. Okay, now we have to be very, very careful about it because Gideon did something and God answered him. Everybody tries putting a fleece before God. Okay. So the question is, 
And it's created so much confusion and havoc in the lives of people. Disaster in the lives of people. That's why you have to be very, very careful that we understand fundamental principles. If this is the method, then after that or before that, every child of God would be putting fleeces before God. So you have to be very, very careful not to read it out of context and to run away with it because he's asking for a sign. Okay, he's asking for a sign. Lord, okay, I'm going to put a fleece out and this is my prayer. The whole ground will be dry and the fleece will be wet. God says, go ahead. Next day he found that the ground is dry and he squeezed out a bowl full of water from the fleece. He said, once more, please. This time the other way around. The whole ground wet and the fleece dry. It happened. Okay. What does it mean? I mean, basically, primarily, why do people are so fascinated by this? Primarily believers, Christians. We are not talking about the others. The other fleece is Greek mythology with Jason and the Argonauts. He went after, went after the golden fleece. That's in the Greek mythology. This is Gideon's fleece. So we are not interested in... But God's people use Gideon's fleece to get Jason's fleece. <laughs> okay? Okay. So... They bring the Greek and the Jew together. But Christ is not there. <laughs> the middle wall is still up there. Okay. So what is the point here? What are we listening? You know, everybody's heart, everyone sitting here, every child of God who's listening, everybody wants to know the will of God. That's a thing. They want to know the will of God. There's nobody sitting here, married, unmarried, want to get married, doesn't want to get married, does not matter. Every child wants to know the will of God. Others are not interested. They want things from God. They are not interested about the will of God. But every genuine child of God wants to know the will of God. First thing about the will of God, it is the will of God that no man should perish. That does not That's his desire. But... People don't go by the will of God, so many will perish. That's a sad thing that is happening. There's not people dying. That's not a big thing. Death has been taken care of. But people dying without knowing Christ. That is a tragedy. Death is not a tragedy. Death is victory. But it's a tragedy when you die without knowing Christ. Then it's a tragedy. Okay? So the first part of the general will of God is that no man should perish. No man should perish. That everyone should be saved. But it doesn't happen. But that's the will of God. After that, you are, let's say we are blessed to be part of the will of God to be redeemed, to be saved. After that, the child of God wants to know what is the will of God. And the struggle of every child of God as they grow up, Lord, what is your will for me? Okay. If people did not, I mean basically it's connected with the future. If future was not so important, people in the world wouldn't run after astrology, palmistry, and all these things. And children of God wouldn't run after every prophet or prophetic meeting that takes place. Why is prophecy, I mean, you have a teacher, let us say on, you have a, you have a teacher on the, on, on the television or YouTube, and there is a prophet. You will see the number of people who will listen to the prophetic message because everybody is, because prophecy has got to do with the future. And everybody wants to know the future. Okay, everybody wants to know the future. You know, because future is connected with the will of God. And the will of God is important. Okay, and Gideon wants to know. 
Gideon wants to know. And we know that one of the most important component of the Lord's prayer is, Thy will be done. Thy will be done. And everybody sitting here, let me tell you, our time is very limited. And COVID has suddenly brought into our mind that, you know, it doesn't matter what your age is, your time is very limited. Very limited. Because the enemy has come with all wrath. If you do not believe that this is one of the signs of the Lord's second coming, you are living in some other planet. This is the beginning of sorrows. It has begun. That means for everyone, we have only a very limited time to finish the will of God. So it is not like children can sit here and say that, you know, I do not know the will of God. I, I am too young. But Samuel, when he was a child, knew the will of God for him. Jesus, when he was 12 years old, already knew the will of God. I'm at my father's business. He knew the will of God. Okay? We have very little time. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 17. See, then, you walk circumspectly, mean carefully, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand. We should understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand what the will of the Lord is on every area of our life. Every area of your life. We have to understand what the will of the Lord is. And Bible says there, understand. Time is evil. Walk carefully. Redeem your time. Don't waste your time. Because life is equal to time. Life is equal to time. It's time. And we have only a certain portion of time given to us to fulfill the will of God. Once you are saved, you are running your race. You have so much time given by God. Fulfill your race and come to me. Or finish your race. Okay. So what do they do? People do, they put out fleeces. People put out fleeces. Show us a sign. Okay. There are people who are opposed to signs. And they will of course use Matthew 12 and verse 39. An unbelieving and perverse. He said, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. And no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet. But you should not read this out of context. Okay, don't read. You have to wait. There are so many arguments for and against Gideon's fleeces. Hmm. So people will say, no, if you put a fleece before God and he asks for a sign, you are a part of that unbelieving, adulterous generation. Okay. And the problem with science is that, I will tell you one of the problems with science Science is like science. Do you remember the physics you studied in class 2, 3, 4? You forgot. Science also wear off. You had an experience with God of sign in your life. Let us say 15 years ago, 20 years ago. After some time it slowly wears off. The point that you sometimes start questioning it. Okay? Questioning it. That's what Jesus used to get. How many signs do I have to show you? How many signs before you will believe? No. With Gideon, he already had seen a sign. A supernatural sign. He already was given a sign. Rock came out of the fire and took his sacrifice. He had already had a sign. And if you want to put a second sign, after he broke down the altar and built a true altar, what happens is, 
the people of the town come, but his father stands up for him. That itself is a different kind of a sign in the family. It's not like a supernatural sign, but you see suddenly, hey, you know what? Uh, like, you know, one of our kids, you know, we have kids in our church who are from non-Christian background, like one of our kids, um, like Saubhagya, right? I still remember when Saubhagya's father came to my house, my office, and he sat there and he said, sir, in our religion, we follow our guru. I don't understand my daughter's faith. She says she is baptized. But as far as I understand, you are her guru. She chooses to follow your faith. It is fine with me. So you find a boy for her according to your faith. I will do the rest. Okay. It was something like <laughs> Gideon's. <laughs> Try that with the two Christian families. Reddy, Rao, which caste, they ask everything. Here is an unbelieving parent. The child has broken the altar of the father and erected an altar to the living God and the father comes and stands for the child. Okay. Understand? So that's a sign. It's not a small thing. It's a sign. He did it by faith and his father stood up for him. Did the father believe? We do not know. Does her father believe? No. But he always asks for prayer. He always asks for prayer. Okay, so understand this. So he had already kind of two signs over there. And now he will have two signs here. And these three signs are not coincidences. All three signs, fire coming out of the rock and the water, in both cases with the fleas, they are supernatural. Because many signs can be coincidences. Okay? In the natural, it involves a suppression of natural loss. When there is a sign from God, natural laws are suspended. Lot of people, I'm telling you, you have to hear the weird signs people take. Okay, weird signs. Okay, Lord, when I'm going, if this were to happen, then I'm marrying that girl. I used to joke with my kids in the northeast and all. No, remember there is this boy. I'm not mentioning his name in case he's listening. Okay, it's just a joke. Okay, I said this thing. No, this is boy who likes a girl. He's saying, Lord, give me a sign that I am. She will want to marry me. Her name is Asha. So as he's entering the church, they are singing the song. What is the next line? And Asha turns and looks at him and says, Lord, thank you for the sign. Now, is that a sign? Or I've heard these weird stories. Or a lady says, Lord, I have never flown, like our children, some of them who flew, have never flown before. I'm very scared, Lord. So, Lord, please give me a sign that I should fly and I will not perish. So she wakes up and she looks at her watch. Oh, it is 7.47. And she realizes she's flying tomorrow in a Boeing 747. Oh, it's a sign from heaven. You have to understand how people run after signs. Okay. But in his case, these are not signs. These are absolutely supernatural events. There is a suspension of natural laws. See, coincidences are not signs. Can be a sign. 
God speaks through it. But it is not like this. This is a supernatural sign, but nothing, nothing of man can cause it to happen. Nothing of man can cause it to happen. Therefore, the opponents of Gideon says he was not seeking the will of God. In his case, he was actually questioning the character of God. Okay? But we cannot be harsh with Gideon. Because God does not condemn him. He gives him the signs. We have to be very, very careful in Gideon's case. We cannot be. He's questioning the character of God. No. God gives the answer. So God is not condemning him. So why should we condemn him? Okay. <coughs> and God answered him with three signs. Three supernatural signs. The first thing to note here is when you think about signs, think about this like Gideon. Gideon is being called to deliver Israel. It's different from us. He's being called to deliver Israel. You need to understand the weight of God's call upon a person. The weight of God's call upon a person. You look at the weight of God's call upon Moses. The weight of God's call upon Joshua. Weight of God's call upon Elijah. Look at these people. The weight of God's call. What is it saying? We don't want to go wrong. We don't want to go wrong. Want to go wrong. No. And what is it all about? It is primarily, if you look in the old covenant, all the way from Abraham onwards, all the way till John the Baptist. The weight of it is, Israel has to be preserved. Why does Israel have to be preserved? Because the Messiah has to come through Israel. You look at Genesis 22, verses 17 to 18. Blessing, I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven, as the sand which is, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. In your seed, that's Jesus Christ. So this is why God is raising up judges. That's why he's raising up deliverers. So he never raised as a deliverers for Israel, India or China, Japan. He didn't deliver anybody. Only Israel. And why is Israel so important in God's plan? Out of Israel will come the Messiah. So Israel has to be preserved. It doesn't matter what happens to Israel. Israel has to be preserved. Why? The Messiah has to come from Israel. And therefore when these judges were called... Because Israel is through whom the Messiah will come, every nation's hand is against Israel. Because the devil is after Israel. But what is happening over here, God is preserving Israel. That's where the wait. If you look at John the Baptist, he's put in, put in prison. And what is the question he asks? He's the weight of it. Did I make a mistake? Did I make a mistake? Did I point the wrong man? Can you imagine the weight of what it is? He's not worried about anything. He's not worried about his message. He's not worried about the crowds are going. He's not worried. He has baptized hundreds of people. He's not worried about any of those things. Only worried about one thing. Are you the Messiah or did I point the wrong person? That's the weight upon his shoulder. Rama, the weight upon these people on their shoulders is because they are a type and they have to preserve Israel. Israel cannot be destroyed. Cannot be destroyed. Why? Messiah has to come. On the other hand, after the Messiah comes and he declares the gospel, we crucify him. Let's include ourselves in this. Okay? We, before we got saved, we crucified him. And he rose from the dead. 
In within 30 years, 30 to 40 years, by 70 AD, Israel is gone. Israel is dispersed. To the ends of the world. Then God says, it looks like God has forgotten them. Till 1948, Israel is forgotten. Why? God's Messiah has come. Think about it. Jesus died in, in um, 70 AD. Uh, sorry, Israel was destroyed. Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD. And after that, the next time you hear about Israel is in 1948, coming back together as a nation. And when they come back together as a nation, it is also connected with the prophecy, in the last days I will bring you back. Why are they bringing back? They are brought back only for one reason. Now the Messiah has to come a second time and he has come back to Israel, the nation. So the last days began in May 40, 1948. And we are now 72 years away from the days it began. So you need to understand what it means. As soon as the Messiah was proclaimed to Israel and they rejected him, Israel was forgotten. Forgotten the sense of the worldly sense. Israel is forgotten. It's gone. Disappeared. It just, and God says, I will allow blindness to come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And we have come in. We don't know when the fullness, how many Gentiles God has in his plan, how many have got in. As soon as the last Gentile has got in, church is gone. And now God's destiny again begins with Israel. Okay, so understand what is happening over there. Okay, so what you will see is all those times the Holy Spirit was upon Israel. Servants of God in this thing. And after Jesus came, now the Holy Spirit is in the church and upon the church. When the second coming of Jesus Christ, Israel will cry out. Zechariah 12 and verse 10. Okay? How will they cry out? I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem. This is talking about Israel in the last days. The spirit of grace. Right now they have no grace. No grace. Grace is with us. That's why we call grace tabernacle. It's not with them. It's No grace for them. If you want to come, you have to come their way. The way of the Gentiles is the way for the Jew also. There is no separate way. They cannot. But once the time of the Gentiles is over, God will pour out grace and supplication upon them. And what will they do? They will look on me whom they pierced. They pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Then Israel will cry out. Oh, we... Have mercy, mercy, mercy. You are our Messiah. So either way, the only way for Israel is now, get through Christ, then get through Christ. There is no separate way. Not Moses. Only Christ. Okay, so this is the plan of God. So when we, these things happen, remember we are already 72 years, 1948 to 2021. I mean, this month, next week. Okay, next week, I mean, today is 4th, 10 days, so I think it's May 14th or 6th, yeah. May 14th, in 10 days time, it will be 73 years. The last days began, 73 years. How much is a man's life? A 70 years, 80 years. 80 years. So 73 years, if it is 80 years, 7 more years. As the last days began, it's the time of the Antichrist here. The whole thing is like, like we are being set up. We are setting up this lockdown in the world. And the next thing that is coming is the vaccination. One of my kids from one of the states in India said, Uncle, Uncle, what do you do? They have asked all of us, the smaller states in India, asked all of us to go take vaccination tomorrow. I said, wait, what do you do? They said, if you do not do, 
later you will not be allowed to travel out of the state or get into the state if you go out. So you know everybody is under panic. Under panic. I'll tell you another interesting. Okay, This I got last night from US, one of my kids. We have to look at how it is going. Okay, look at this. this okay, Rajendra Kapila, MD, Depart- Department of Medicine. Okay, Rajendra Kapila, infectious disease expert with Rutgers, uh, Rutgers uh, University, was visiting India due to his father-in-law's poor health. He got infected with COVID and died yesterday in India. Apparently, he had both shots of vaccines before he left for India. And irony is he was an infectious diseases doctor. He's an expert in infectious diseases. He had got both the shots of the vaccine and he came to India and died. They talk about vaccine, it's not a protection. But if you don't take a vaccine, they're going to come after you. Okay. People are sitting here and do not understanding they had the global meet in uh, Europe by virtual this thing and Allah. By the way, the big guy behind all this vaccination, good news today, he and his wife are divorcing. Melinda, these are the idiots who are behind this whole thing. Mel- Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation before vaccinating people. The World Economic Forum, those global people who got in over there. You need to understand what is happening. They basically have said they have a project like Biden's climate change, all this program. And if you do not accept their program, you will not be funded anymore. Any business in the long run, it may become short run. Any business who do not accept their agenda, you will not be able to bank you will not be given to banking system. Do you know what it means? You cannot buy or sell without their permission. Do you know right before our eyes it is coming to pass? And we are sitting like blind people, like deer caught in the headlights without realizing everything that was told is coming to pass. One is a vaccination. Like Australia has said, if any Indians, I'm Australian citizens who are of Indian origin or Indians coming from Australia, if they try to get into Australia, you will be arrested. Australia has blocked for Indians. Almost all countries are blocked for Indians because we are going to ravage. Meaning instead of directly coming through this tea, you go to Dubai and you go to Sandia and try to get in through another flight into Australia. If they find out your origin was from India, you will be put in prison. Think about it, where we are going. Just think about it, where we are going. Everything is falling into place. The world has no clue, but the church should have a clue. The church should know. The church should have an idea where we are. The church should have an idea where we are going. So we look at it and we have to be very, very careful. Don't take it lightly. Don't take it lightly. Be very serious about this. Okay, so we need to know the will of God. All these things, that's why Israel is God's clock. It's timepiece, it's clock. 1948, May the 14th, tuck, 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 it started. It started. Okay, the end days have started. And we cannot look there, Lord, I want to go up there. All that, Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, how, where are you leading me? Okay, that's that's why it is so important that Gideon, he puts a fleece. But in Gideon's case, you need to realize that Gideon is not primarily looking so much for guidance. Because already knows what he is called to do. God said, 
you shall deliver Israel from the hand of the Midianites. He already understands his call. Okay. I don't think he's doubting even God's power. Because in Judges 6 verse 13, he actually knows God is powerful, but he believes that God has forsaken him or forsaken Israel. Oh my Lord, if God is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about? Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us. He doesn't question the miracles. He says, you know why nothing is happening? God has forsaken us. Okay, so he's not doubting God's power. He's only thinking that God has forsaken. He's not doubting God's call. God's call, I mean, he knows what he's called to do. I believe what Gideon struggled with is what all leaders in the Bible struggle with. We see that when he asked the question in 36, verse 36. 6.36. So Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel... My hand. That's the question. Are you sure I am the leader? Are you sure I am the one? Because everyone you know in the Bible whom God picked to lead were failures. They were failures. They were not successful. If you were very successful in the world, if you were very children, can you come and sit in the front? The uncles are all coming, no? So that they can have a chair. We have chair there? Oh yeah, we have a chair. Okay. So you need to realize... If you are very successful, if you are very successful, success is not a bad thing unless you are surrendered. If you are surrendered to God, success is, you will never look at your success. Okay, But otherwise, success is a very, very dangerous thing because you will think that you are called. You are called. So everybody in the Bible whom called are failures. And because they were such terrible failures and the call of God came upon them, they were always... In doubt. You know, Moses will also say, am I the real one? Please, please send somebody else. I can't even talk. I can't even speak. Okay? And here is this man saying, are you sure it is by my hand? You're calling me? That's his doubt. Okay? By my hand. We know Abraham asked for a sign in Genesis 15, 8. And then we'll go to 1 and 2. Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit this? Give me a sign. Basically, saying, show me. But why does he ask for a sign? If you look at words. The Lord came and said, do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless? You know what he's looking at? Why does he ask for a sign? What is God saying? Takes him out and says, look at that. This is how your children will be like. And you know, he's got a problem. He says, you know what? Give me a sign. You are saying all that is okay. You're basically saying mighty father, but you know what? I have no children. And I'm almost 80 years old. 75 years old. Or more. 10 years. 80 years old. Neither my wife, neither I. We can't bear any more children. We are old. So the problem is, he's not doubting the power of God. He's not doubting the promise of God. He's doubting himself. How is it possible? For a man at 80 to father a child. How is it possible for a 70 year old woman to bear a child? Right? That's the issue. So when Gideon is asking for a sign, he's not questioning God's character. I don't believe. I don't believe he's questioning God's power. He's questioning, am I eligible for this? Am I eligible for this? That's where the problem is. Therefore, it is not always sinful to ask for a sign. 
in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 11 to 13. Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. God is saying, ask. You are saying, I will not ask. <laughs> then he said, here now, O house of David. Is it a small thing for you to weary men, but you will weary my God also? God says, ask. The prophet is coming and said, ask. He says, I will not ask. He says, you are not tiring me, now you are tiring God also. So it is not always wrong to ask for a sign. It's not always wrong to ask for a sign. But be very careful how we ask. You know, there is something, he says, I will not test the Lord. But there is one area where God says, test and see. You know, when it comes to finances, God says, test and see. What is the test? That is the test which is difficult. The test is not in receiving. The test is first is in giving. Give and see you will get. You know, that test is too much. But God said, test me. And that's one area we don't want to test God. Because the test is not for him, the test is for us. So in Gideon's case, it is not the absence of faith. It is bad, but rather what we call the caution of faith. Okay, caution. When God is calling you, especially I'm telling you, if God is calling you, you need to be very, very sure. Certain things you need to be very, very, very sure. Absolutely sure. Because he's saying, if I get it wrong, I will pay a price. My family will pay a price. The nation will pay a price if I get it wrong. Okay, if I get it wrong. There are certain things in life. Who you marry, you get it wrong, you will pay a price. Your family will pay a price if you get it wrong. So you cannot, you cannot, okay. You cannot. One of the most important decisions post salvation you will make is who you will marry. It can mess up God's will for you in your life. It can mess up. It's not a small thing, it's a very serious thing. Okay, so here in this case, he's very, very cautious. He will goof up, his life will go, his family will go for a toss, the nation. If I heard it wrong, God, all these people with go to fight these Amalekites. Amalekites thrash you left, right, and center. You got it all wrong. That's what happened to to Israel when they fight, went to fight the Philistines. The Lord is with us. Let us go. They made a big sound. They did not know God was with them. And it was not the will of God for them. They said, bring the ark. They brought the ark. The ark was there, but the God of the ark was not. 30,000 people died that day. And the ark also was taken. You can have all the symbols of God thinking that is the will of God without God there at all and it was not their will. When a good king, godly, righteous, young kid like Joseph, he went to fight and God spoke through the Gentile king, why are you coming to fight for me? You are not supposed to fight me. Your God told me to fight somebody else. You are coming to fight me. He didn't listen and he died. One of the saddest and the tragic loss for Israel, for Judah, was the death of Josiah. Because after David, you don't find a king like that. You know why? He died young. Because he thought it was the will of God. And he got it wrong. And he was. And the gentle king is telling him, please don't fight me. Don't come to fight me. I'm going to fight somebody else and you're coming to fight me. Your God told me to fight. And Josiah went. He didn't listen. He didn't listen. So it is important that in many certain cases in life, we need to be absolutely sure. We need to be cautious. 
the will of god for us one of us any one of us is too big a matter to be taken lightly the will of god remember the son of god jesus christ literally was popping blood vessels in the garden of gethsemane to do the will of god because he was struggling with the will of god he's fighting the will of god take this cup away from me but not my will but your will be done you know what's happened the blood vessels are popping in his struggle his bleeding blood his sweating blood you know it's a struggle of his soul with what with the will of god and if he does not obey the will of god it becomes sin it becomes sin whatever is not of faith is sin and he's already knows he's going to have to go to the cross okay that's why the hebrew writer picks it up says in our battle against sin we have not come to the point of shedding blood so the will of god is not a small matter matthew 7:21 you cannot ignore verses like this this is not written to unbelievers these are written to the church not everyone who says to me lord lord shall enter the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of my father in the in heaven let me ask you this is this the new covenant or the old covenant everybody has a voice old covenant or new covenant is the new covenant do the jews read the new covenant who reads the new covenant the church is not even for the jews though it was spoken at that time to the jews is written for the christians it's not written for them they don't read the new covenant they only read the old covenant they only read the torah and the talmud they don't read this this is written to us spoken to them written for us and what does god says he who does the will of my father in heaven so if we are in the last of the last days we don't i am not presuming that's none of my business and i should never do it but you look at the signs and we need to realize we are in those days okay it is not everyone but he who does the will of my father in heaven 1 john chapter 2 verse 15 to 17 it talks about the world do not love the world other things in the world if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in him period for all that is in the world the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes the pride of life is not of the father but is of the world look at verse 17 the world is passing away and the lust of it but he who does the will of god abides forever he who does the will of don't presume you are doing the will of god don't assume you are doing the will of god know that you are doing the will of god know that you are doing the will of god don't presume and assume because there is absolute clarity in the word of god about the will of god you don't have to be confused about it because when it comes to the will of god you know when it comes to like any case he's looking for guidance he's looking for confirmation guidance is promised in a way in the new covenant which is not available in the old covenant john chapter 10 verse 4 and verse 27 10 10 104 and 10:27 when he brings out his own sheep he goes before them and the sheep follow him why for they know his voice why do the sheep follow him because they know his voice and verse 27 my sheep hear my voice and i know them and they follow me i mean this is given to everybody in the old covenant only few of the leaders heard 
Nobody else. The new covenant, everybody, God says, you will hear my voice and you will follow me. Meaning, it's a principle of guidance. It's a principle of... Net is gone? Hmm? Everything is okay? Okay. Don't suddenly get up, Sammy. You scare me. Hmm? You show your thumb like this, that means net is on, light is gone. Okay. You don't need much light on my face. Light is the word of God. The will of God. Okay. So please understand even young little children. Okay. Sitting here. There's a God who speaks. There's a God who leads. Okay. The God who reveals his will for us. He does not save us and leave us in random. He says, I will speak to you. I will show you which way you need to go. He doesn't show everything in one day, but he guides. He shows. Okay. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 6, often we are like Paul, zealous. He trembling, astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, arise and go into the city. You will be told what you must do. What do you want to know? He said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And God says, don't worry. You will be told that. What you and I do is secondary. Primary is, God wants to, us to ask the question, Lord, what do you want me to be? That is primary. It is not doing, that is secondary. It is being, that is primary. Okay? If you turn to Romans chapter 8, 28 first, and then we'll go to 29. We have, don't read it out of context. Everybody knows 28, they don't look at 29. We know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. So there is a calling, there is a purpose, there is guidance. And all kind of crazy things happen in our lives because of that. But why do these things happen to Lord? Why do I have to do these things? That is not primary. The reason is 29. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be to be conformed to the image of his son so the first question should never be Lord what do you want me to do the first question what do you want me to be he says like my son if you understand this is the primary call of God in our life to become like his son then everything that happens in our life will start taking meaning otherwise we will not to be like him Otherwise, Joseph is not going to understand why does his brothers hate me? I didn't do anything. Why do they hate me? Why have they sold me? Why is Potiphar's wife after me? Why are these chains around me? It is all because of not what he is doing. Let me ask you this question. 17 years he was in his father's house. What do you know about what he did? Nothing. Looked after his father's ship. Let us say three years he was in Potiphar's palace. What do you know that he did? He took care of the household. But do you know what he actually did? No. Ten years he was in the prison. What do you know he did? Nothing. We don't know what he did over there. Interpreted into one dream. That's all we know. But what did he do for ten years? We don't know. But we know at the age of 30 what he became. At the age of 41 we see his mercy, his kindness, his compassion to his enemies. We don't know what he did. But we know what he became. So we are so concentrated on doing things without becoming what God wants us to be. Okay. This is the will of God, Paul will write to the church of Thessalonians, your sanctification. This is the will of God, that we are conformed to the image of his son. This is the will of God. This is the will of God. And the problem is we are often zealous like Paul saying, what do you want me to do? Go to the city, it will be told you. Till be told you. Till be told you. 
Now, if you look into the new covenant, do we know what Peter did? Hardly. Do we know what Thomas did from the Bible? No. Do we know what the disciples did from the Bible? We know about Paul only because it is written. But that is not what is important. What is important is when he finishes in 2 Timothy what he has become. When you look through the scriptures, why are we fascinated by this man? But this man is able to say, I no longer love. Christ lives in me. For me to live and die is gain. Follow me as I follow Christ. What you see is a revelation to the Holy Spirit of what this man has become. We read the book of Acts and we saw he did this. God says, that's not important. There are others who did greater things than that. What is important is there are very few who became like him. Became like him. You know? Became like him. Because that's what it's only because people question this apostleship he talks about his suffering. Otherwise that is not people have suffered more than Paul. How many times was Paul in prison? How many times was how long was Paul in prison? Watchman he was in prison for twenty one years. And he was hung outside the prison. Richard Wombrandt was in prison for 13, 14 years. There have been people who have been in prison much, much longer than Washington. Me and Richard Wombrandt never came out and lived and died in prison. So that is not what is so important about Paul's sufferings. It is what he became. What he became. And this is the will of God. So will of God is important. So when we are going through all these trials and every, that's what I said, everything is a test for the believer. How do you respond to the pandemic? Is your head up or your head down? Do you see it as a sign? Are you preparing for the second coming or are you just like the world? Scripture is written, the last days will be like the days of Noah and the days of Lot. Two people. In both their cases, judgment took place. What were they thinking? What am I, you know, to eating and drinking, marrying, given in marriage, building and selling, meaning they were so completely like the world. There was no difference between them and the world. God is not saying that you shouldn't do these things. God is saying, even though you are doing these things, your eyes are up. So, the minor prophet in the Old Testament will say, let the bride come out of her, what a beauty parlor. <laughs> Chambers. If it is the trumpet is being blown. Everything changes. Everything changes. And we need to look at, that's what God is, so if you, if you see the coming of the Lord is, the urgency is, am I ready? So Jesus uses all this illustration, there were ten virgins, they're all virgins, but five were wise, five were foolish, and we all fell asleep, but when the knock came, five were ready in their sleep, the others went to buy oil, and when they went to buy the oil, what happened? So what does it mean? The five who were wise, even when they slipped because the bridegroom tarried in coming, were prepared in their sleep. Their sleep was from the sleep of unpreparedness. Their sleep was the sleep of preparedness. When the knock came, they trimmed this thing and the lamps were full of the Holy Spirit. Their lives were full of the Holy Spirit. You don't go looking for anointing. You don't go for the fullness of the Holy Spirit if you know on Sunday the Lord is coming. You will realize it is too long, too late. How will you get the Holy Spirit? Who will you find who will lay hands upon you? How are you going to fast and pray? You are already tense. So God says, you have to. That's what Ephesians 5 is talking about. Walk constantly in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, all the warnings in the book of Revelation is listen to what he says. 
Listen to what he says. All those who have ears, let them hear. So you know what? What happens to be conformed to that image? Because you need to understand here. <clears throat> if we are not surrendered to the will of God, to be conformed to the image of Christ, we can as well forget about what he wants us to do. It is irrelevant. It is irrelevant. That's why God is telling Paul, I will tell you, go to the city, I'll tell you. That's not what is important. Three days of blindness, he understands what is important. If you and I have not surrendered ourselves constantly to become what God wants us to become, then forget what God wants us to do. It just doesn't make any, it does not make any difference. Does not make any difference. Like I said, no, you got first rank in your college and then you go to pick your certificates and among them is a character certificate. It is written very bad. Be careful of this boy. Any company which demands your character certificate will never give you a job. It doesn't matter what your rank is. They will not take you. Nowadays they don't bother, but old days it mattered. We trembled. The board certificate came from the board. The character certificate was written by the principal. And we stood there, won this thing. No? Even if you wrote satisfactory, it was bad. Imagine going after 10 years of school, going with a certificate which is satisfactory. What is your life for 10 years in the school? Satisfactory. People would cry saying, sir, he would threaten you. You know how many times I called you to the office? Do you know how many times I had to challenge you? And you never said, I'm going to write, sir, please, sir, don't write. You knew you would not get admission in the college. On that grounds would they deny you. In those days, no questioning. Bad. Doesn't matter what's your rank, no admission here. You need to understand. There was a different generation we grew in. <laughs> now only marks. Character is irrelevant. <laughs> Okay, now we need to understand what God is talking about. If you do not be what He wants you to be, to be conformed to the image of Christ Jesus, it's irrelevant what you do. It's all of Tarsus is asking, "What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do?" Right. <laughs> so the will of God. Let's look at the overall big picture. The will of God guidance. One of the simplest thing first to start is the Bible says. First thing, simple thing is this. There are very specific things which is called thou shall and thou shall not. Is there any doubt about it? God says, thou shall, Exodus 20 will begin, thou shall have no other gods before me. Is there any confusion about that? Let's look at the general. Lord, show me your will for me. He says, do you know that thou shalt and thou shalt not? Thou shalt not kill. But I feel like killing a few people. Thou shalt not steal. But that's my hobby. This is the big picture. Very big picture. Okay. See, this is how you go from room to room. No, you do, you cannot go straight to the bedroom. First you have to get in the living room, right? This is the living room. In the living room, there's very specific, very clear general guidelines in the Bible. Thou shall, thou shall not. 
After that, you go through the Bible, you will see principles are written. Lord, I keep. I keep. Okay. Lord, I have kept all this from my childhood. Wow, you cross into the living room. Now come closer. He looked at him and said, you know what? Sell all that you have. And follow me. And he was very sad. He was very sad. Okay. God is not condemning you at all. He doesn't say you are a liar. You have not kept commandment number 6 and 3b. He's not saying anything. Okay. He crossed the general principle. Now he's coming to the next level. God says, you know what? Let me point out something in your heart. And he went away sadly. And the Bible says God loved him. Jesus loved him. But he did not love Jesus enough to leave what God called him to leave. Jesus loved him and called him. Who knows, he could have been an apostle. He rejected the call of God. Okay, because he loved something in his life more than God. So principles are there. And we have to very prayerfully apply principles. That's what Romans 12, 1 and 2 actually means. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Okay? If you look at the, if you look in simple terms of thou shall and thou shall not in the Ten Commandments, it is never written over there, thou shall not smoke. Is it written? No. But when you come to Romans 12, 1, you are moving from that to the next level. What is that? Thou shall not abuse your body. Thou shall not drink. Thou shall not do drugs. Thou shall not watch certain kinds of things. I beseech you. This is not a command. This is a request. You want to go to the next level. You are already my child. You want to move to the next level, have become a youth. He is saying, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Even if it's eating and drinking also. Gluttony. Why are people so scared of COVID? Honestly, every time, oh, struck with COVID. It's very serious. First question is, is he obese? Is she obese? The first question. And one day we will look back in history and realize most people who died of COVID died because of obesity. And obesity comes from lifestyle. Lifestyle. People who wake up in the morning and the thought is what to eat, what to drink, what to eat, what to drink. And won't exercise. Won't burn what is there. The fuel of body is, the car is full of fuel. But no burning of the petrol. Sedentary lifestyle. That is why it's wonderful to get out in the morning and see all the roads are full with people all walking, walking with this thing. Every costume possible. From yoga pants to sari, everybody is walking. What a change COVID did. What, what God couldn't do for 2000 years, COVID did. He sent a virus and made man walk. Now these men and women need to learn to walk with God also. Purpose fulfilled. First he has to get them to walk. So what is it talking about? It's talking about if you daily surrender, you will also receive daily guidance. Living sacrifice. Living sacrifice. And verse 2 will say, do not conform to the pattern of the world. But how can you be not, I don't even want to check the mobile, the camera, because a couple of you will be sitting before the uh, YouTube channel watching something else. 
how can you be conformed to the image of god while you are also hooked on to the world how is it possible how is it possible okay well many times i have told this example but it's still a good example in the old days when people were lonely tunes they were put in asylum lunatic asylum old days not when they drug you like these days it's a terrible thing those days what did they do before they found a patient was ready to be released they gave him a broom took him to the bathroom a man or woman opened the tap and told him to clean the bathroom if he had come to his senses he would shut the tap and sweep the bathroom out but if he hadn't come to the senses what does he do the tap is open water is flowing and he's sitting there and they told him go back one more year <laughs> And that's what Romans 12 too is talking about here. One time the tap of the world is open and then hearing the word. Tap is open, cleaning, 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 cleaning. Nothing is changing. Nothing is changing. Two years in the church, three years in the church, six years in the church, seven years in the church. But the Bible says do not be confirmed. I'm not talking about even, even watching. I'm talking about the ways of the world. How do we react? That's what I keep saying. How are you reacting to situation? Yes, there is a crisis. But how are you reacting? Because the reaction shows you whether the world has got in or not, or the world has got in. If you are reacting to every crisis in the same way of the world, then God says, you know what? You have not been transformed to the image of my son. That's why Jesus was never shaken. Though he was in the same. Like the disciples are panicking. They are trying to bail out the water. Finally they wake him up and says, don't you care? And he looked at them and said, where is your faith? Where is your faith? Why are you afraid? Where is your faith? He refused to be conformed to the pattern of the world. Okay. But renewed by what? Of your mind. With what? With the word of God. With the word of God. You can't keep this tap open. and then listen to the word of god you know what nothing is happening you are still where you are it is just balancing it's just balancing you no know? that's what god is talking about even jesus hebrews 10 verses 5 to 7 when he came when the son of god came therefore when he came into the world he said sacrifice and offering you did not desire but a body you prepared for me meaning god says you know what i don't want all these sacrifices things and all if it is not according to the will of god when he said you did not uh, okay in burnt offering and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure then i said behold i have come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will oh god where is it written he says is written here in the volume of the book you know for 30 years do you know what jesus did No, you know what he did? Thou shall, thou shall not. The general will of God. That's all he did. No specific guidance. You know when the specific guidance begins? When he gets baptized. Guidance is beginning. He gets baptized. The so Holy Spirit comes. He's driven into the desert. He's tempted. He overcomes. Comes back in the power of this thing. But even when he's going to get baptized, you know what? The guidance is coming. John says, you should be baptizing. He says, let all righteousness, you know what? Now he's receiving guidance. Before that, how did he live? By the general principles. Just the general principles. What is written? That's all. Thou shall, thou shall not. and after that he is receiving once the holy spirit comes upon him guidance is beginning but where is it getting from because in the volume of the book it is written of me okay written after that it is coming whatever is written about him in the book he is fulfilling all that 
So the Bible also speaks to us because we are in Christ and Christ is in us. You cannot search for for guidance outside the book when you have been searched for guidance in the book. See, people who are running after prophets have never read their Bible. So even the prophet says something from Vedas, he will not know this is not in the Bible. There are a lot of things which people think it is gospel truth. Well, it is not in the gospel. God only helps those who help themselves. Who told you? Who told you? Where is it written? Yeah, where is it written? No. Let me make this statement. Can you give me the words? No. Don't speak all the truth. But whatever you speak must be the truth. Any matter. Don't speak all the truth. But whatever you speak should be the truth. Is there in the Bible? No, it's in the Vedas. But because we use truth, 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 and John uses truth, truth, we will think it's in the Bible. We search everywhere, use concordance, use Google, you don't find it. And somebody comes and says, this is, I received guidance. But from where? <laughs> I'm not saying there is no truth in that statement. It's a very powerful truth in the statement. You don't have to gird and blur truth, all the truth before people unnecessarily. You don't have to. But whatever you say should be true. Whatever you say should be true. Okay. Are you getting the picture? Even Jesus himself began with the book. And then the Holy Spirit led him. Holy Spirit led him. Romans 8.14 For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. No? The question is, can the Holy Spirit lead you and me? First we are born of the Spirit. Then we have to grow in the Spirit. Then we have to be led by the Spirit. And someday we have to be like Apostle Paul who will say, I am bound in the Spirit. And I am going to Jerusalem. Though everybody says, don't go. I am bound in the Spirit. I have to go. No? The levels of leading. You go where you don't. And Peter, Jesus told us straight. Now you will lead. One day you will be bound. You will go. And they all became bound. Bound by the Spirit. Bound by the Spirit. And Jesus is bound by the Spirit. Not Nails is not holding him there. He's the Son of God. He says, if I want 12, a legion of angels will come. Finish everybody off. You are not going to pierce one nail. But he's bound in the Spirit. He's won his battle. He did not win the battle on the cross. He won the battle in the Garden of Gethsemane. The battle on the cross is against the powers of darkness. But the battle he actually wins is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He wins the battle between the... Every conflict, every one of us face is the conflict of wills. His will or my will. It's simply that. Whichever wills rules that day. If my will wins, God's will loses. If God's will wins, I win. It's as simple as that. The time you wake up is the conflict of will becomes you have your will. And that is God's will. And most Christians very well know what God's will is. Right? Kritika is sitting there and smiling nicely. She knows what God's will is and the other part of God's will is obey your mother who is here with you. They know it. What is told to children? Obey your parents. I have son to the Lord. What is told to parents about children? Don't exasperate them. It's very simple. 
Very simple. Then we begin. And the battle begins. What is told to wives? Very simple. What is told to husband? See, we want to make a theology. It's very simple. <laughs> we try to make a doctrine out of it, but the, that's what I said yesterday, Pastor Vijay was talking. The simplicity of the gospel on Sunday. Simplicity of the gospel. Husbands, love your wives. Is that very complicated? But you don't know. God didn't say, he says, I know your wife better than you do. But you don't know my wife. God says, you are telling me I don't know your wife. I knit her together in my mother's womb. I know everything about her which you don't know. And you are telling me you don't know my wife. The same thing to the wife. Submit your husband and all things. This man? I think you got it wrong. You called him David, but he's more like Manasseh. <laughs> you see, it is not so complicated. We make it complicated. Okay, students sitting over there, young men sitting over there, everybody knows. As many as are led by the Spirit of God. These are the sons of God. But the question is, can he lead us? Verse 26 to 28, same chapter. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. You see, the Spirit cannot help anybody who does not first accept he is weak. That is why God's all the leaders were weak. Or he waited until they were weak. He didn't pick any strong people. Because they will not be led. They cannot be led. They lead, but they cannot be led. They lead, they cannot be led. You know, and God will do everything. People don't understand this incredible answer to Lord, I surrender. How that answer comes. He breaks you into pieces. There are two choices before man. Either fall upon that rock or the rock will fall upon you. One, you will be broken. The other, you will be crushed. He doesn't want to crush us. He wants to break us. What is that? Is the meaning of this word? Lord, I surrender. Lord, I surrender. Only those who surrender can be led. No, it's a simple thing they talk about a man, a man is drowning. Don't try to rescue him. He doesn't know how to swim. Don't try to rescue him because usually if he's bigger and heavier than you, he will take you also down. So wait till he has lost all his strength. He has got no strength left. Then go, you can pull him down. Otherwise he will take you down. Okay. So as long as we have strength, God waits. God waits. And God has no issue with time. We have. Lord, my life is so short. I told you that. 40 years he waited with Moses. What is he doing? Breaking him, breaking him, breaking him. One day God came. God came. Absolutely. You are the one I am called. No, I am not. I can't do anything. I can't even speak. God says, exactly. You are ready. You are ready. That's the issue with Gideon. God is not upset with Gideon. Gideon has no question about God. I know your character. I know your power. But my question is with me. Are you sure? By my hand? Is it by my hand? This, me, Lord? So God, he asked for two signs and God says, no problem, here. Helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. The Spirit himself make intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is. Because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. According to the will of God. The Holy Spirit will not do anything in us or through us outside the will of God. And people who have done it have paid the price like Samson. Have paid the price. Okay. According to the will of God. So guidance is promised. 
And God gives us guidance. Psalm 119, verse 105. Psalm 119-105 Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. What does it mean? I mean, usually what happens is we take that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We take it and we forget the message behind it. What is the message? The message is that if you try to walk in the dark with the lamp, you only get enough light for a step. You don't get light for ten steps. God guides you daily. He very rarely gives you the light for a year. He may give you a promise for a year, but he doesn't give you light for a year. One day at a time. That was the miracle of the manna, daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Lord, give us me my daily light to walk. That's our confusion. That's our, honestly, that's our struggle because we are so tense and nervous. We make one year plan. India makes five year plans. No plans are working. I don't know what happened to the five year plan, but everything is gone out. No, but just was passed plans so everything is gone out of the window. Now they don't even have vaccines. They don't have oxygen. They don't have ventilators. They don't have hospital beds. What happened to all your plans? That is why God says, do not say through James, what does he say? I will do this tomorrow. I will do this. If the Lord wills. If the Lord wills. Be very careful. Because tomorrow is not promised. That's one of my wife's favorite lines when she prays. Tomorrow is not promised. Today is yeah, that is Matthew 6 and verse 34. 33 we know. 34 we forget. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things shall be added unto you. What does it say? Do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about his own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. He said, don't worry about tomorrow. Think about today. Think about today. Lord, did I hear your voice? Did I obey your voice? Did I receive light for today? To walk today, did I receive light? No. If I do not have light for today, you know, think, think in practical terms. If my fridge is empty, I have no food to eat today, why should I worry about tomorrow? <laughs> I'm worrying about what to eat today. You're worrying about what to eat tomorrow. Okay. Do you have money? No. Do you have food in your fridge? No. Are you eating today? No. And you're worrying about tomorrow. I want God to reveal what he, I want have to do tomorrow. Wait a second. Do you know what to do today? Did you wake up sometime today in the morning? <laughs> Did you read your word? Did you pray? Did you ask God? Did you surrender? No. But I'm asking for tomorrow. <laughs> Like I said, don't complicate it. Light is promised for each day. Right? Okay? Manna was promised for each day. And whenever there were necessities, God could take care of it. Those who walk daily. The will of God is revealed step by step. Step by step. He reveals. He didn't reveal everything to Paul also. He revealed him step by step by step. 
And he will say, the, the Holy Spirit constrained me from going to that place. Or the Holy Spirit bound me to go to that place. Okay, these are surrendered people. But let's start properly. Okay. Romans 5 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is fundamental. We don't understand how important it is. If you want to be led by God, if you want guidance from God, if you want the will of God to be revealed, first you need peace with God. You need peace with God. If you do not have peace with God, you don't have guidance from God. That's how Gideon begins. He makes an altar which is called Jehovah. God is my peace. God is my peace. If you don't have peace with God, how does God guide you? How does God guide you? Even if he guides you, a whisper will sound like a shout. He's trying to whisper to you, but you hear it as he's angry at me, shouting at me. It's not guidance. God doesn't guide like that. No. See, Elijah is not at peace with God because he's run away from his post. God takes him out. And he looks at there is thunder and there is earthquake and there is fire and everything. But when God speaks to him, he speaks to him in a whisper. The first question God asks him is, what are you doing here? Why are you here? What are you doing here? You shouldn't be here. I called you, I brought you here, but what are you doing here? And says, go back. Go back the way. Go back the way. And he says, anoint three people. I always struggle with the third person who is anointed. Elisha? Understand. Jehu? Yeah, understand. There's a third fellow. Who is that? Isaiah. You know what he's anointed for? He's an, an enemy of Israel. Is anointed to destroy Israel. An enemy of Israel is anointed to destroy, not destroy Israel, discipline Israel, where pregnant women will be ripped open with their children. You know why? Because they will go after idolatry. And God says, it's an anointing to your enemies to destroy you. And it's my anointing. Because even your enemy cannot touch you without my anointing. They are anointed to discipline you. Therefore God will call Nebuchadnezzar, my servant, Cyrus, my, these are all servants, all Gentiles. All Gentiles. So please understand, when a child of God is being being attacked by the enemy, and if he's wrong, he has been anointed to teach us a lesson by our Father. Okay, so we should be willing to receive that guidance. Receive the guidance. That's why we say the word of God first, the rod of God second, the sword of God third. Sword he keeps at the end. First is the word, second is the rod, and third is the talwar. Peace. The first thing he does is he's, he has peace with God. And once he has peace with God, God starts showing him the idols in his life. Your father has a idol. Father has a grow, destroy it all. Deuteronomy 32 verse 12. So the Lord alone led him and there was no foreign God with him. Can God say that about you? I alone let you, when I look into your heart, there is no other God, no idols. When I look into your heart, my will and my will alone, not your will. And that's how Jesus walked. 
33 years. Thy will, thy will, thy will. And what does he say? My father has never left me. Because I always do what pleases him. This is talking about Israel. But this is not true about Israel. This is only true about Jesus Christ through Israel. Who would come through Israel. The Lord alone led him. If you ask Jesus, who led you? The Lord alone. Was there any foreign God with you? No Lord. Even Jacob's wife had. Jacob's family had. We think only about Rachel sitting on her father's idols. But at Bethel, when God says, rise up and go to Bethel, oh, every one of them had idols. If God were to show us, we would know. The idol, like Pastor Vijay's favorite line, no? our heart is an idol factory. Okay, please understand. Psalm 123. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still. All that we love. We love that. Third onward starts different. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The question is, can he lead us in paths of righteousness? If we are led in the paths of righteousness, when we go to the valley of shadow of death, we will not be afraid. These two things are connected. If you have allowed God to lead you in the paths of righteousness and we allowed and learned the righteousness of God, now you are in the valley of shadow of death. You are not afraid. All the satraps in Babylon is plotting to destroy Daniel. But the Bible says they checked everything on him and they couldn't find anything against him. You know why? Because for years he has been allowing the Lord to lead him in paths of righteousness. And all the princes are plotting to kill him. There is no fear. Finally, they make one law for the entire nation pointed at one man. Nobody shall pray in this nation for 30 days. It doesn't bother anybody except one man. He goes and prays. They throw him into the lion. Nothing happens to him. You know why? Because he was led in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Literally for his namesake. Otherwise, why would you want to be righteous in Babylon? What do you get out of it? For his namesake. There's a God who is willing to lead us. And when these things like this come in our life, we are not afraid. Why? Because you are with me. You are with me. He doesn't lead you from far. He leads you from beside. That's an experience, he says. I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod is with me. Your staff is with me. And you know what? They don't frighten me. They comfort me. They don't frighten me. They comfort me. That's what he's talking about. So there is this guidance. There is this will of God. There is this leading of God. And we have to constantly surrender to it and to grow in it. Grow it. No, let me ask you, there's two things over there. One is a staff and the other is a rod. These are used for two different purposes. We will say the staff comforts us, but the rod doesn't comfort you. Does the rod comfort you? The rod is for discipline. But you know when the rod comforts you? When in your youth you were disciplined by the rod and you learned it, and now you are in your old age, the lessons of the rod, you're walking in it, the rod is now comforting you. The Bible says discipline is not very comforting at that time. But those who have been trained by it receive a harvest, righteousness, with peace. Peaceable fruit of righteousness. When did you get spanked? When you were a youth. 
When are you learning walking it? You learned. And now when you're walking it, the rod is comforting you. When did you get the rod? Not now. You cannot be disciplined at 70, 80 and all. It is impossible. Your heart is set stubborn like a mule you become. It's very difficult to change your ways. But if you had learned, it's good for a youth to bear a yoke. Especially yoke, meaning you could get saved at 70 and changed. When you are newly born again, immediately flow with God. Allow discipline. Allow that to be. Get this fundamental. Don't wait for 10 years after getting saved to read your Bible and to pray and all. It's very difficult. Spiritual disciplines have to be learned when you are born again. Born again. You are ready because your spirit is malleable, ready to be changed. You put to death the flesh and says, I am going in this and I'm going to obey. I am going to walk with God. And you realize it will bring forth for you a harvest of righteousness. That's what he's talking about. Leading. Guidance. So God is not upset with Gideon. We are upset with Gideon. And we try to Gideon's tricks and nothing happens. Nothing happens. So peace is important. Because peace is not the absence of problems. It is the presence of a person. I am with you. You are with me. Why is he not afraid? Because somebody is with him. That's why the Bible says he is our peace. You know why people are panicking? Christians are panicking. Okay, why are Christians panicking? Christians shouldn't panic. The flood comes upon everybody. Christians should not panic. Because we've been given a promise. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you. I will be with you. You know, Colossians 3.15. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. That's how you are led. How do you know? How do you know? The peace of God is ruling over your heart. Absolutely ruling over your heart. It's control. That's why I tell you peace is a marker. They come together. Righteousness and peace. Romans 5, 1 says, right? Because by faith we have been justified, that is righteousness. We have peace with God. And the peace of God should now rule our heart. It, it, it should reign over our hearts. It's not a small thing, it should reign. You know, if you say, I have no peace about it, wait. It's a marker, it's a pointer, because he's a God of peace. Peace should rule. Well, on the other hand, everything is wrong outside. But I have absolute peace about it. Absolute Doctors report everything has gone dangerous, but you have absolute peace because they said you are not going to die. The report all says you are going to die. But you got absolute peace about it. You know why? Peace is a marker. And you are able to say, no, you will not die. I will not die. I am going to live and declare the works of God. How come? Because peace is a marker. It doesn't shake your peace doesn't shake your peace. Peace It has to rule. Genesis chapter 14, verse 17 and 18. (laughs) And the king of Sodom, yeah, yeah, uh, 16, 17 and 18. Okay, he brought back all, okay, yeah. um, Yeah, it's fine. He's coming, okay. Uh, We'll read 17 and 18. That's enough, actually. It's Abraham coming back after the war. No, no, I need 6, 17 and 18. Yeah. 
The king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shaveh, that's the king's valley, after his return from the defeat of Shetlomor and the kings who were with him. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, and he was the priest of most. It's a very simple statement. You know what Abraham is coming? Abraham is coming after war. It's coming after war. But the big war was not with the kings. The big war he had to win inside. You get a news. What is the news? Your nephew has been taken captive. This is the fellow who took the real estate and ran away. He took the best piece of real estate. He was given a choice. He took the best piece of the real estate and went away. And now you hear that fellow is in trouble. The question is, you have many excuses to make. Five kings have taken him. And I am just a small group of people. I have only 300 people. 318. He has 18 more than Gideon. And this is not one army, five armies or four armies. And these kings have come after other kings. This is not my battle. In the midst of it, my nephew happened to be in the wrong place and they took him. But he made the choice to be in the wrong place. Okay. I will put you an example. Okay, let us say, let us say Naresh is sitting over there. Naresh went to drink to the bar. That day there was a police raid and they picked up all the boys who were underage. Now he's sitting in the police station. And Sister Elsa gets a call. There is a boy here. Question, what are you going to do? Put him in the lockup, beat him and leave him. That's not my problem. <laughs> this is what is happening to Abraham. It's not my problem. He's an adult. He made his choices, went away. He was in the wrong place. He deserves it. Let him go and slave as a slave for somebody else for 10 years. The Lord wants you to rescue him. Let him rescue him. And if I go, you know what? I'm going to die. I have only 318 people. This is an army. Or better excuse, I have a call on my life. I cannot, I cannot mess my hands with these dirty things. But you know what he does? He wins that war in his heart. And he goes to fight. And when he goes to fight, he wins. And when he comes, the king of Sodom is coming to meet him. The tempter is coming to meet him. But the Bible says in verse 18, Melchizedek, king of Salem. Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Salem means peace. So he's the king of righteousness and the king of peace. They go together always. You cannot have one without the other. So when we have justified, we have peace with God. Lot of people are restless because the book of Isaiah says the wicked have no restless. You know why we have no peace? Because we do not. We have issues with people. <laughs> you can have issues with people yet have peace with people. The problem is we mix this book together and they become one lump. The issue and the person becomes one. Abraham has an issue with Lot. But he has no issue with I mean, so he does not make it into one. Okay, you deserve it, no. You deserve it, but I'm coming to rescue you. Are we getting the picture? We don't know how to detach the person and deal with the issue alone. And therefore, what happens? We have no peace. And we God is not able to lead us. Abraham has peace about Lot. Therefore, God is able to tell him, go fight, I am with you. You will win, you will not lose. 
So righteousness and peace comes together. It's a, it's a, it's important because if I don't have peace, he's not going to lead me. He's not going to lead me. Isaiah 48, if I'm right, and verse 22. There is no peace, says the Lord for the... Remember, there are wicked in the kingdom of God and outside also. For the kingdom of God, you need to understand, in the kingdom of God, restlessness, lack of peace, is a gift. It's a gift. David was very restless. He said, I'm not able to sleep. I'm not able to sleep. On the other hand, you can sin and sin and sin and full of rest. See, this lack of, not lack of peace for the wicked is the one which causes some of them to turn to God. So don't look at it negatively. Which is worse? The wicked has peace. And then it ends up in eternity with no peace. In hell. Do you want to be wicked and have peace? Or do you want to be wicked and be restless until you find peace? Think about it. See, that's why his Bible says in everything God does, he is good. He gives the wicked no peace. He's good. Why? God is good. Imagine that it was written the other way. Do you think we would be sitting here? Philippians 4 and verse 6 and 8. And we shall go to prayer. Be anxious for nothing. In everything by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Put 6 and 7 together. Be anxious for nothing, but in in all things, in everything. Be anxious for nothing, but in all things or in everything. And what does word 7 says? The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. What is God talking about? When you have peace with God and you allow the God to lead you, the peace of God will be so wide. It can handle everything. It will encompass everything. Look at the young one sitting over here. Do you know what their everything is? <laughs> they are not even married. They are all teenagers. Do you know how much lies ahead? It's like the girl who has went to the well to draw water. She went to the well and as she was drawing water, she started weeping and weeping and weeping and weeping and everybody came running. They asked her, she wouldn't answer. She was weeping. Finally, they called the headman of the village. He came and asked her, honey, what happened? She said, no, I was drinking and I was thinking while I was drawing water that one day I will get married and then I will have a baby and my husband wouldn't help me. So I came with the baby to draw water and I was drawing the water with one hand and the baby fell into the well and he died and I was he said honey <laughs> by the way your marriage is fixed and you're going to marry to a boy from the city where they don't have wells and they have taps so you don't have to cry you know what all things are ahead of us in everything be anxious for nothing 
And in everything, the peace of God will guard us. Guard us. Do we know the future of our children? The toddlers? Do we know where they will go? How they will end? We don't. But God says the peace of God can be so wide. It can handle everything in your life. Everything in your life. Okay. This is, we are talking about guidance and we are talking about the will of God. One last words and we shall pray. Psalm 32 and verse 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. And I will guide you with my eye. I'll guide you with my All of people sitting over here don't understand what it is. Only married people know that. Only married people understand that. Okay? Huh? Only married people. Just imagine, you know, I and my wife are sitting over there and suddenly four people come into the house at 10 in the night. I look at her. They look, she understands. Is there food in the fridge to offer them? Not a word is spoken. And she says, why don't you have dinner? Nothing is. No words are exchanged. One look and it communicates. You know, that's what God says, being one with him. He's able to speak to us, guide us with his eye. <coughs> guide us with his eye. Okay, He's able to guide us. Not that we can see his eyes, but it's talking about how God can. Your spirit is so sensitive. So sensitive. So sensitive. Sometimes it has to, you have to. Otherwise, we will not survive what is coming. We will not know whom to pray for and whom not to pray for. You get a whole list of people whom you know and suddenly God says, this will not die, this will not die, this will not die, this will not die. This is critical. So you suddenly change your list and pray for those who are critical and says, tell them very straightly, you don't have to worry, you will come out. You don't waste time because we have very little time left. You have to redeem your time. So what happens? You are praying over the ones because you did not hear clearly over the ones who do not do not require prayer. And you ignore the critical and after a couple of hours you realize the critical ones died. You know why? Because you didn't hear from the Lord. You didn't hear from the Lord. Because like I said, we have only time. Very little time. You are praying over the ones who are saved are on the way to be saved, while you're not praying over the ones who are actually the devil is after their soul. Wasting your time. And God is very, very clear. Right? You get it so completely. No. Anias is being told, rise up and go to this house. And there's a man from Tarsus called Saul of Tarsus. He says, no. Lord, that's the enemy. <laughs> the enemy of the Jews. Enemy of Christians. God says, no. Anias, that's my chosen vessel. There were so many people over there. I believe Ananias was the only one in the church in Damascus who was sensitive to the Holy Spirit that he would obey. Everybody's perception is wrong about Saul. But one man hears. One man hears. He is a willing vessel to be guided by the Spirit of God. To go to a man, everybody has labeled enemy of Christians. But chosen vessel. Can we be guided? 
Can we be guided? Okay, that's what God is talking about. Can we be guided? By the Spirit of God? Because that's how we began. Redeem the time, for the days are evil. How should we walk? Circumspect. Understanding the will of God. If all these things come together. And we need to be very, very careful about these things because like I said, we are running out of time. So Peter can come and my wife will come and we shall pray and we shall not panic. That is why the only labor mentioned in the Bible in the New Covenant is labor to enter into his rest. And from there we shall do the works God prepared for us. Come on He knows my throat. This is not chocolate, children, okay? That is to soothe my throat. I don't give her any sweet at all, so to make a point, she comes and gives me a sweet every day. (laughs) No sugar. We are two people, sugar-free and full of sugar. (laughs) Hallelujah. Yeah. Hallelujah, 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 Jesus, hallelujah. Oh yes, Lord, hallelujah. Jesus, Jesus, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Yes, Lord. The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked come against us, they stumble and fall. Though an army may encamp against us, our heart will not fear. One thing and one thing alone <coughs> desires to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of our lives. My God, my God. Right now, Lord, what struck me the most is to pray for unsaved loved ones. So many not saved dying in an ICU struck with COVID or whatever the infirmities are, my God. <clears throat> Let us pray today. Let us pray for unsaved loved ones. Let us pray today. I pray that's the burden in your heart today. I pray from this, if anything we got, as we know, for the Christians we know, O oh death, where is your sting? Oh, Lord, we know we are victorious. We know where we are going. We know. They don't know where they are going. They have no clue. But I pray today, Father, would you touch our unsaved loved ones today? Would you touch whatever faith, whatever they believe, whatever they believe, the atheist, my God, the agnostic, the hardened heart, the heart that walked away from God, I pray for them today. The religious. The religious, yes. Hallelujah, Jesus. For there is only one name given under the heavens, O Lord. Yes. And I pray wherever they are, in the hospital, in the ICU, in their homes, in their offices, O Lord, I pray. They would call upon the name of Jesus. O Father, who call upon the name of Jesus.